Another pot of coffee is brewing and if you couldn't already tell, I am currently operating on less than the optimum three mugs right now. Mostly due to the fact that the sun has only just risen and I am recording this with the sound of early morning birds as an accompaniment. Though thanks to my great microphone, you probably can't hear them. Being truthful here, I could happily go right back to bed but I have things to say. All that means is that it's time for the next book episode of Not Before Coffee, season four. I'm your host, Ray, self-confessed bookworm, film addict, TV show marathoner, hermit, long-term depression sufferer, and very honest, if not a little bit tired, caffeine fiend. Light the candles, get yourself a fresh cup of something hot or a glass of something chilled, depending entirely on what you want and when you're listening, of course. And let's get started. I've had another busy few weeks buying books. In fact, in 31 days, I have purchased a grand sum of 20 physical books and quite a few more on my Kindle. However, I am still waiting for delivery of two of them because one is coming from Bristol and has been since the 12th of January and the other is being shipped from Germany, though I'm not quite sure why. I had a break last week, partially due to the fact that I spent most evenings and part of the weekend designing, baking and decorating a cake for a 50th birthday. No, before you start guessing, not mine. And also because I was in two minds about the book I'm reviewing this week. The book I was contemplating doing instead turned out to have been damaged in transit, so I had to wait for delivery of a replacement before I could even finish it. So while I have decided that I am going to bite the bullet and talk about the first book I read, which was actually my second completed book of the year, the other book will be saved for another day. The book I'm reviewing today is one that was voted Goodreads Choice Awards Debut of the Year 2021. It's been doing the rounds on TikTok and with 4.4 out of 5 on Amazon, it should be good right? The book in question is the debut novel from Spanish author Elena Armas, The Spanish Love Deception. A wedding in Spain, the most infuriating man, three days to convince your family you're actually in love. Catalina Martin desperately needs a date to her sister's wedding, especially when her little white lie about her American boyfriend has spiralled out of control. Now everyone she knows, including her ex-boyfriend and his fiance, will be there. She only has four weeks to find someone willing to cross the Atlantic for her and aid her in her deception. NYC to Spain is no short flight and her family won't be easy to fool. But even then, when Aaron Blackford, the six-foot-four blue-eyed pain in the arse, offers to step in, she is not tempted even for a second. Never has there been a more aggravating, blood-boiling and infuriating man. 
But Catalina is desperate, and as the wedding gets closer, the more desirable an option Aaron Blackford becomes. The Spanish love deception is an enemies-to-lovers, fake-dating romance, perfect for those looking for a steamy, slow burn with the promise of a sweet, happy ever after. Okay, I guess I should start at the beginning here. I love this sort of book, I really do, and I have never been shy about admitting that romantic comedy and contemporary romance are two genres that I really enjoy reading. In fact, if you looked at my bookcase right now, which I will post a photo of on Instagram, you will see I am telling the absolute truth. Everything from Paige Toon, Jenny Colgan, Sophie Kinsella, you name it, I've got it. But seriously, it's usually incredibly relaxing and the best way to pass the time when I've been spending hours concentrating on anything that my brain finds in any way stressful. I had incredibly positive thoughts about this book going in. The cover was something familiar. The trope, enemies to lovers, is one that I frequently read and there are so many interpretations that it's one that doesn't tend to get too tired. Unfortunately, in this particular instance, I was wrong. Now, I'm all about being positive when it comes to books, so I am going to be both honest and fair about my personal experience with The Spanish Love Deception, because while it turned out not to be what I was anticipating, every single reader is different. The book starts with a strong premise. The central female character, Lena, is intelligent, determined, and definitely knows what she wants most of the time. At least, that's the impression I felt was given when she was first introduced. She comes from a very close Spanish family, though she moved to America to pursue her career as something, leaving her family and ex-boyfriend behind. Given the way she talks about her ex, their relationship had a rather bitter and unfortunate end, so moving thousands of miles away was the best way to escape it. Later, we do discover that there was more to it than was initially revealed. Lena works for a big company where sexism appears to be rife. And I'm not saying that it's died a death and no longer exists, because we all know that would be a total lie. However, the sexism we see here just feels as though it's been inserted to prove a point. And while it could easily be true, it's almost as though the author wanted to hit the reader over the head with it like a shovel. But less of that for now. It's back to the story. Lena is apparently very good at her job, though I have to be honest, even after finishing the book, I am not 100% clear on exactly what it is she does. I know that she is somewhat bullied into organising a promotional day for the company she works at, something she isn't familiar with, but that's about it. Okay, post-writing Ray here, I guess. It turns out that Lena is an engineer, I am not sure and quite embarrassed that I had to look that up because that fact completely passed me by and I'm not sure why, but it did. This would normally be a role that's stuck in my head because it's a more untraditional 
role for a character in a rom-com to play, at least in book form. But unfortunately, it didn't make any impact on me at all, which is a really sad state of affairs. Lena is an account manager, anyway, of some kind, and for some reason she has developed an antagonistic relationship with Aaron Blackford, a tall, handsome, blue-eyed man who can do no wrong in the eyes of his employers. He's good at everything, and for some reason, apparently has developed an intense dislike of Lena, at least as far as she's concerned. I wasn't the only one driving along Hate Boulevard. It was a two-way road. Not only that, but it had actually been him, the one causing our fallout. I hadn't started this feud between us. Of course, not everything about Lena's life in America is sweetness and light. And in fact, she has been lying to her family the whole time. So what is this lie she's been perpetuating? Is it that she's not making much money or that her job is dreadful? No, it's that she has a boyfriend and she's bringing him home to meet the family at the soonest opportunity, which just happens to be on the event of her sister Isabel's wedding in Spain. Enter a knight in shining armour to rescue her from her lie, or at least to prevent her from what she feels would be the ultimate humiliation, reuniting with her ex-boyfriend Daniel without a new man at her side. Aaron Blackford is completely unaware that Lena feels such intense dislike for him that she is willing to do anything to stay out of his vicinity on a daily basis. Aaron, having overheard that Lena is in need of someone to help deceive her family into believing that she is in a very happy and pretty serious relationship, offers his services. Something that, given this supposed animosity they feel towards each other, does come across as a little bit peculiar, at least to me. Anyway, he has his own motives, to be fair, for offering this help, and they begin and end with her playing the role of fake date and protection against eager women who want to buy him at a bachelor auction. A bachelor auction? Okay. Yes, what we have here is a bargain with two potential winners. Aaron needs a date to a bachelor auction and Lena needs someone to play the attentive fake boyfriend for a long weekend in Spain. Despite the dislike that Lena feels for Aaron, added to the fact that she doesn't trust him at all, she still accepts his offer. And this is where, well, for me anyway, things took a strange turn. Now, the book is marketed as an enemies to lovers story and I went into it knowing this. It's not, as I have mentioned already, a trope that I have any kind of issue with. At its heart, even Pride and Prejudice would be marketed using this particular trope as its byline if it had been written today. Though, as much as I really do hate to admit it, it probably wouldn't even get a look in at a publishing house today, anyway, if it weren't already a classic. Anyway, the moment the pair have shaken on their deal, that's when things started to turn rotten for me. After an interesting but odd and somewhat unsettling date at this bachelor auction, Lena and Aaron head to Spain, where all their misunderstandings continue to spill over into Lena's attitude. 
For all that Lena is able to put on a somewhat convincing, look at me, I'm in an interesting and exciting relationship with a man who loves me, act. Behind the scenes, she is still suffering from this simmering rage that comes over her whenever she's in Aaron's company, which, unfortunately for her, is incredibly often due to the fact that they are not only playing pretend, but they're also sharing a bed in her parents' home. I don't want to give the plot away, but anyone who has read a book with the enemy-to-lover trope as the central plot will be well aware of what happens at the end. As with every contemporary romance, this one has the traditional happy ending, but that's just what I want from my romance novels. I want something that brings me joy. It's why I read them in the first place. That being said, well, that and living vicariously through the characters on the page anyway, that being said, I do like a book that gives me a full range of emotions from tears to joy and everything in between. Life is emotional and without all of those feelings, the world would be a very empty place, though it could do without hate, to be completely fair. And thus ends my public service announcement as I head into my character reviews. This so rarely happens to me that I am not sure where to begin. Catalina Martin, known as Lena to her friends, is in her early to mid-twenties, at least as far as I can gather. She's intelligent, determined, ambitious, and these are all incredibly positive qualities, ones that I love in my central female characters but that's where the similarities end. I had such high hopes for Lena and her story, but for all that she had incredible promise, there was so much about her that, while it gave her added dimension, also made her someone incredibly difficult to like. Before you swing at me seriously, just let me explain. Hold my hands up, this is my personal view. Though her dislike of Aaron is eventually explained, it feels as though the circumstances under which the events occur could be so easily cleared up, as they are, at least eventually. To give this context, I'll elaborate a little. And though this may seem spoilerish and go completely against my no-spoilers rule, I am merely giving you a chance to judge for yourselves. She has barely met him and he her, when she overhears a conversation he has with someone else on the work floor that could easily have been about anybody, in which he states that he doesn't believe she has much experience to do the job that she has been hired for, or words to that effect. And there you have it, her sole reason for hating him and believing that this hate is returned. She never confronts him, never asks him about this event, never asks him to clarify why he has this apparent dislike for her, just lets the whole thing fester until it becomes something that could easily destroy her career. Because of this one incident, she is unprofessional, childish, over-emotional in the workplace, and even goes so far as to call him her nemesis. And telling her best friend Rosie, who has a very small bit part in the whole thing, yet is now the central character in her own spin-off, that she should also dislike Aaron in her role as the best friend. There were moments in the book when I had to confirm that the characters were meant to be in their 20s, 
maybe 30s in the case of Aaron and Lena's ex, Daniel, rather than in their mid-teens. Lena has all the maturity of a 12-year-old when she is doing her best to avoid Aaron at work and then doing things like calling him boyfriend in front of her friends and family in Spain. And here I'm saying she says things like, boyfriend, not this is my boyfriend, but boyfriend, come here. I don't know why, but that makes me cringe nearly as much as Bay. As a character, she feels all over the place. I know that people are unpredictable. That's something of a law of nature. But this girl, she's just all over the place. Now, don't get me wrong here. I like unpredictable. It's fun to try and guess what's going to happen next. Such is the mystery of life. Though... I do like many things that are predictable because change is difficult. But when it comes to a single character and their actions, some consistency with their behaviour would really be nice. I can't help but feel that Lena is not at all happy with her lot in life. She moved away from Spain to escape not only some bad memories, but also a reputation that she had earned for herself due to some poor judgment most of which had to do with her ex-boyfriend, Daniel. He's also going to be a guest at her sister's wedding. I really wanted to like Lena. She is the central character of the book, and for that reason alone, she needs to be likeable. But her actions, her chronic self-obsession, the fact that she is so quick to judge and holds grudges like nobody's business... And her desire to be the centre of everything just turned her into someone I was constantly getting frustrated with. The more I read, the less I liked. And the less I liked, the longer each part of the book took to read. The worst thing about her character and my dislike of her is that it meant remembering even the minor things, such as her appearance, became irrelevant. There's a moment where she refers to her sister, Isabel, as bridezilla, when her behaviour is anything but. In fact, Isabel comes across as quiet, unassuming, and someone who just wants to have a wedding without drama, which is what most people want, unless they're in the middle of a reality TV show. She clearly wants her sister to be happy and is sure that Aaron is the person for the job, mostly due to the fact that Lena told everyone he was. Now we come to the man of the hour, Aaron Blackford. The key takeaways when it comes to Aaron are that he has the most amazing blue eyes, something that is mentioned incredibly frequently, and the fact that he is tall. These are two focus points as far as the book is concerned, and Lena, for that matter. Does this make her superficial? Let's not add to her already long list of faults right now. So, Aaron where to start. He is the perfect example of the male specimen. He is intelligent, elegant and has a complicated, somewhat antagonistic relationship with his father. Far from being disgusted by Lena, he is fascinated by her and as much as he does his absolute best to hide it, he wants nothing more than for her to notice him as a man. The bargain that they strike works out perfectly for him because it gives him the chance to show Lena that he has feelings for her, and as they are playing at being in love, he has the opportunity to get to know her and let her know him. 
A lot is revealed about Aaron when he meets Lena's family. He makes the effort to learn Spanish so that he can fit in. He charms her grandmother and her mother. He becomes their friend. He wants them to like him because he wants Lena to like him, to appreciate who he is and her feelings for him. Unlike Lena, he doesn't judge. He wants to fit in, wants to make the best impression on the people he knows that she cares about. He wants to show her that he can be someone she can rely on. Many times when he was trying to prove himself, I wanted to yell at him, pick someone else, find another woman. But the story was always his and Lena's, so that was it. I would like to talk about the other characters, but they were so forgettable, so easy to overlook, that they were never more than peripheral creations to act as foils for the main act. They were in the book merely to play the confidant and the source of rational thought, or the source of anger. As much as I didn't like the central character of Lena, the biggest issue I had with the books was actually something that shouldn't have been one at all. The smut. I am open-minded. I have read plenty of novels that include scenes that could be considered graphic, as well as those which have little to no sex in them at all. I don't think that the sex makes the book. However, it can destroy it, especially when the scenes are completely unnecessary. For me, when it comes to a sex scene in contemporary romance, it's meant to demonstrate the developing of a bond, the strengthening of a relationship. In this instance, it's almost as though the sex was added because, oh, this would be good here to show that they have chemistry. Lines like, does this feel good, baby, actually make me cringe just a little bit inside. It felt like a certain fanfic I read years ago in the MCU fandom that described a certain appendage of Captain America's as being as large as a baseball bat, an image I still cannot get out of my mind despite wanting to, desperately. Perhaps bleach is required. I'm not going to deny that Aaron has some appeal, but he isn't my Mr Darcy. Before I get into what I thought about the book in more detail, it's been out for less than a year and has garnered an incredibly impressive number of reviews across the two core platforms I tend to go to when looking for a book recommendation. The reviews were mostly balanced, ranging from the incredibly complimentary five star to the less than glowing one star and everything in between. I think that this can help to make a really balanced judgment if you're looking to find a new book for yourself. Christina Reeds gave it five stars and raved about it, saying, Right off the bat, I just knew I was going to fall in love when diving into this magnificent novel. The cover, the synopsis, it being written by a humble and beautiful human being. It was a no-brainer that my love would be immense for these characters, and I was not wrong. Aaron and Catalina, one of my favourite characters this year, have outdone themselves with how much passion they have for each other. Whether it's the passion of their arguments, heated stares, my gosh, those heated stares, 
Heated stairs from Aaron that make your panties or boxes to each their own melt in the best of ways. And that emotional connection that makes them compatible in all aspects. Overall, this magnificent and beautifully written novel is one of the kind that will make the butterflies in your stomach flutter. Every stare, every touch, every kiss is what makes Aaron Blackford one of a kind. And my sweet eyes are patiently waiting for the next novel in which I got an inside scoop will be someone in this world. I am so proud of Eleanor Armas and what she has accomplished, and I cannot wait to be part of her author career and have her as a true friend. However, Chelsea gave the book just two stars. I am so torn on how to rate this one. I mostly enjoyed my time spent in between these pages, but I struggled quite a bit with the clunkiness of the first half of the story. A lot of that first half felt really overwritten, and I think that this book definitely would have benefited from another round or two of edits to cut it down a bit more. I would consider reading more from Armas in the future, but this was not the new favourite for me that I thought it would be. Ninia Campbell gave it a one-star review and said, This was mentally exhausting, and the thought of returning to it actually made me feel upset. The characters were so childish and I didn't like the writing style. I'm so bummed because I love Spain and Spanish culture and the premise sounded like pure wish fulfillment. But this is really just like a more infuriating version of the hating game and I couldn't get into it at all. Bummer. The earlier reviews for this book are all incredibly positive, especially over on Goodreads, where many read the same copy as me the independently published version. However, it was incredibly difficult to find any kind of balanced reviews on Amazon where the vast majority were more concerned with the quality of the printing than the quality of the story itself. I guess what I take away from this is the fact that you should buy the Kindle version, though I know a new printed version will be coming out this year because it's now being published by Simon & Schuster. Did I like the book? Want and need are two very different things. I wanted to like this book. I really, truly did. But I need to be honest with myself. Rarely do books in my favourite genres take me more than a week to finish. But for some reason, I really struggled to get through this one. There were moments when I contemplated putting the book down and leaving it as my first did not finish of the year. But something pushed me forward. The hope perhaps that Lena would redeem herself or that something would happen that would make the book worthy of an immense 477 pages. What I found was a book that was too long, in some places rather repetitive, occasionally poorly edited and not what I felt I had been promised in the considerable collection of positive reviews I had been reading. Will I Read More by Eleanor Armas? I actually feel really bad saying this, but as I'm always telling you, I am here to be honest. This is Armas's first novel, but having found myself unable to care for any of the characters she created, I know that I am incredibly unlikely to purchase her next book, The American Roommate Experiment, about Lena's best friend Rosie, which is due for release in September this year. If you're looking for something like this, or you loved this and want something else, 
then you'll love these. Wow. Now, this is a hard one and that was a tongue twister. However, if you really love the enemy to lover trope, then you could always start with the classic Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen, because that's a pretty good example of the trope at its finest. However, if you're searching for something more modern, then there's always the first book in the Immortals After Dark series by Cressley Cole, both books in the Crow's Duology by Leah Bardugo, and if you love historical romances by one of the best in the genre, Judith McNaught, then the first in the Westmoreland series, A Kingdom of Dreams, is probably the epitome when it comes to this genre. Ooh, I've been dying to try this place. Oh my god, me too. I've heard such good things about it. Welcome to the Crime Diner. I'm Cindy. I'll be cooking for you this evening. Here are your menus. Ooh, what are you thinking about getting? I don't know. Murder with a side of cannibalism? What about you? Ooh, that sounds good. I'm torn between historical mayhem and the social injustice, maybe? Oh. I just want to let you know that each episode comes with dinner, dessert, and a specialty drink chosen by yours truly. Wine Diner Storytime has had a makeover, and we invite you to slide into the booth with us at the Crime Diner, where each week we will discuss a crime over dinner, drinks, and dessert. See you there! Over the last week, I have been a very poor contributor to my Goodreads challenge. I reached six books at the start of the week. However, I have been unlucky enough that I have been going to bed early with headaches for the last few days. So my reading count is pretty much stuck there as I record this. That being said, I do have two new books on the bedside table right now. And I have every intention of reading both of them in the coming days. I want to present you with a variety of genres to choose from. So while my reading list does in fact contain a considerable number of romantic comedies and contemporary romance novels, that is not everything. In fact, as I look at my physical TBR, I can see a nice series of science fiction novels that I am seriously looking forward to. So bring it on. Oh, and I am still very definitely looking for recommendations. Tomorrow is the start of February, and you may well be asking, where did January go? And you would not be alone. I am asking the same question. It's scary how quickly the year already seems to be going, especially as I am moving ever closer to my next birthday and reaching, okay, it's only realistically one day older, but the numbers tick through. That's scary. If you're looking for more books to add to your reading list, what about some of these brand new releases? Love Marriage is the latest book by the best-selling author of Brick Lane, Monica Alley. It follows the story of successful Dr. Yasmin and her fiancé Joe. They appear to have it all. But when their families meet and their cultures collide, she is forced to think whether she wants a love marriage after all. Love Marriage is due out on the 3rd of February. Black Cake is the debut novel from author Charmaine Wilkerson. 
the story of Byron and Benny, warring siblings who reluctantly reunite after their mother dies to argue over her Caribbean black cake and discover the recording of a mysterious voice. This book is also released on the 3rd of February, so the 3rd of February is clearly a popular day. Especially as this third book, a story of witchcraft and an old shipwreck based during the Civil War, The Leviathan by Rosie Andrews, is also due out then. So, how are things in the coffee household this week? It's been a relatively positive week. Despite being incredibly tired, I have been able to get a considerable amount done, though obviously none of it has actually been spent reading. This week marked the end of Plan B in the UK when it comes to the dreaded pandemic, and that means that a return to the office is on the cards. Granted, that will only be once a week. I have been with the company for three months, and in that time, I have been into the office for less than a fortnight of days in total. And I know that I have talked about my issues with being around a lot of people, especially strangers, before. So it should come as absolutely no surprise to you that I am already a little bit anxious about this decision to go into the office. In the run-up to returning to the office, I am going to be employing a few of my coping mechanisms, which have proved somewhat effective in the past. Meditation, better sleep, self-affirmation, and I am determined that I am going to try pretty much anything in order to make sure I'm not the nervous wreck I can occasionally appear when I step back through those double doors. Of course, that is not my only issue when it comes to my fear of going back into the office. As I mentioned last week, I was waiting for some test results and my theories regarding my tiredness were proved right. I am iron anemic and that means yet another round of the little pills that cause a lot of fun side effects. Anyone who's taken iron pills will know what I'm talking about, so I don't need to elaborate. Needless to say, this is another reason for being cautious about going back into the office. With any luck, by next week, things will have picked up just a little bit. And instead of fearing a return, I will be looking forward to being able to, again, take part in the collaborative process. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, why not share it with your friends and family? And please post a star rating on Good Pods, Spotify or Podchaser. You can follow me on Twitter at need underscore three underscore mugs and on Instagram at not before coffee podcast. Or you can check out my website, notbeforecoffee.co.uk. Well, I definitely need another cup of coffee as one is not enough, as I am discovering. So I'm going to go and put the kettle on. Until next time, this is me saying farewell. Farewell.